This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The Holy Grail, the Fountain of Youth, the Philosopher's Stone. Since the dawn of civilization, we have been looking for ways to heal ourselves through spiritual magic. Despite centuries of pilgrimages and hunts all over the world, most of the magical healing artifacts we read about in literature are nothing more than myth. But there is one mystical fountain in this list of legends that is not only real, but regularly visited inspiring dozens of feature films, documentaries, magazine articles, and social media groups. The waters that flow from this fountain are regarded by the Vatican and over 1.2 billion Catholics as a pure and unrequited blessing from God. To this day, five million pilgrims travel each year with the hope of being healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Their destination? The Sacred Waters of Lourdes. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries on the ParCast Network. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. You can listen to previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Thursday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, or Twitter at Parcast Network and at Parcast.com. Some of you have been asking us how you can help support the show. Well, if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This is our first episode on the Sacred Waters of Lords. Today we'll be exploring the history of this mysterious spring and how the world sees this fountain today. Next week, we'll delve into the possible explanations behind this mystery and provide the most probable solution to this mysterious healing fountain. Still flowing today, the Sacred Waters of Lourdes is a natural spring in the Grotto of Masabiel. 
This is a small cave-like enclosure in the southern countryside of France, along the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains. According to the Catholic Church, the waters of the spring have healing properties that allow the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the paralyzed to heal. The waters of Lourdes have resulted in no less than 70 miracles. Although there is no scientific evidence to support the belief that these waters can heal people, Thousands of people flock to the waters every year, seeking cures for everything from cancer to spinal damage to broken bones. Still, skeptics believe these healings are not the result of spiritual magic, but rather the work of an extreme case of the placebo effect and spiritual delusion. But they can't both be right. In order to find the truth, we need only start with a young, sickly girl by the name of Bernadette Subaru, who would later be known as Saint Bernadette. Born on January 7, 1844, in Lourdes, Bernadette was the eldest of nine children. Her father, Francois Subaru, was a local miller in Lourdes, and her mother, Louise Subaru, was a laundress. The family was poor, in virtual poverty. Because of their large family, both Bernadette's mother and father had to work incredibly long hours just to make ends meet. They lived in a small one-room basement that was formerly used as the town jail. The room was cheap, but it was also damp and dark. Many experts believe this terrible living environment resulted in the premature death of three of Bernadette's siblings— Jean at the age of one, Jean-Marie at the age of three, and Louise a few months after her birth. Bernadette also suffered from the living situation. As a toddler, she contracted cholera and suffered chronic asthma throughout her life. The deadly living environment also stunted her growth. She remained sickly and small for her entire life, never growing past four and a half feet. As you can imagine, the Subiru family didn't have money for education. For the first few years of Bernadette's life, she was illiterate. She couldn't even speak French. Instead, she spoke a broken version of Occitan, a local language in Lourdes. This awful situation was made worse by a sudden accident in the family. Her father, Francois, was working in his shop one day when an equipment malfunction caused him to lose one of his eyes. Francois continued to work, but his business suffered as a result. The rest of the family, even the young children, was forced to work to keep food on the table. Bernadette and her sisters made money by collecting sticks outside the town for a few pennies a bundle. By gathering firewood for local businesses, the children helped the family afford food. Life for the Subarus was similar to many other impoverished families in the area at the time. Each night, her father and mother would come home from their labor-intensive work and try to feed their dying family. This might have been the end of this family's story if it weren't for a strange incident that happened on February 11, 1858, when Bernadette was 14. Despite the falling snow, she was out collecting firewood for food with one of her sisters, Toinette, and their childhood friend, Jean. Over the years, These three had discovered some of the best sticks could be found near a small cave outside the city called the Grotto of Masabiel. Even today, the grotto is a small indent in a sheet of stone standing about 30 feet tall. The enclosure is so narrow, you can see the back wall from outside the cave. 
This grotto was about a two-hour walk away from Bernadette's house, but it was usually worth the trouble for the money they could get for the sticks they found there. It was a day like any other day. The wind was blowing and the snow was falling in sheets. But on this particular day, Toinette and Jean decided they would brave a small creek to find sticks on the other side. They crossed the icy river, but Bernadette remained behind. Tentative, she called out to her sister, asking how cold the water was. Because of her constant asthma attacks and illnesses, Bernadette really shouldn't have been outside at all, let alone wading through cold water. With the average temperature of France in February being 40 degrees Fahrenheit, it's safe to assume the creek felt like ice water. Bernadette's sister and friend teased her, but she resolved to remain on the other side of the creek. She watched as they disappeared into the snow, and then she sat down near the grotto. Now alone, Bernadette decided she might be able to make it across the river if she removed her socks and shoes. She was in the process of doing so when something happened. According to Bernadette herself, Quote, Hardly had I taken off my first stocking when I heard a noise as if a sudden wind blew. I turned my head and looked at the meadow, and I saw that the trees were still. I went on, taking off my stocking, and again I heard the same sound. As I lifted up my head to look at the grotto, I saw a lady dressed in white. She wore a white dress and equally white veil, blue belt and a yellow rose on each foot. Bernadette described the woman as, quote, young and beautiful, exceedingly beautiful, the like of who I'd never seen, end quote. The lady placed herself at the opening of the grotto above a rose bush and smiled at Bernadette. She didn't know it at the time, but Bernadette had just experienced her first encounter with the Divine Presence. The lady then signaled for Bernadette to advance the way a mother might. Bernadette took out her rosary and knelt before the lady. Bernadette tried to begin her prayer, but she realized that her arm was paralyzed. It wasn't until the lady did the sign of the cross herself that Bernadette was able to do the same. Throughout this lengthy prayer, the woman remained mostly quiet. When the prayer was finished, Bernadette watched as the lady stepped toward the inside of the grotto and vanished entirely. Overjoyed, Bernadette splashed across the stream to join her sister and friend. Bernadette later described the frozen stream as warm and refreshing. She quickly found her companions and told them about the lady that she saw. Confused but interested, Toinette and Jean went to look for her. They looked inside and around the grotto, but the lady was nowhere to be found. That night, Bernadette returned home to tell her parents about the bizarre encounter with the young lady. Francois and Louise didn't share their daughter's enthusiasm. Her parents were afraid that the mysterious lady was some sort of evil spirit or even the devil himself in disguise. Francois actually beat her that night to purge the dark spirit's hold over Bernadette. According to historians, this was not an uncommon practice in the Subiru household. There was evidence to suggest that Bernadette regularly experienced physical discipline at the hands of her parents. But Bernadette wouldn't be able to let her vision go so easily. After pleading with her mother, she was allowed to return to the grotto on Sunday, February 14th. Armed with a vial of holy water, Bernadette and 20 other eyewitnesses descended on the grotto of Massabiel. 
If the spirit was a demon, Bernadette would be ready to defend herself. Coming next, we'll examine Bernadette's second spiritual encounter. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now back to the story. On February 14, 1858, Bernadette and the 20 other eyewitnesses arrived at the grotto armed and ready for the spirit. They fanned out around the grotto and waited. According to the Catholic Church, the lady returned within a few minutes of their arrival. Once again, she stood before Bernadette at the entrance of the grotto and smiled. It's important to note that none of the other eyewitnesses were able to see the lady during this apparition. Bernadette approached the lady and poured the holy water on the ground near her feet. She waited. Once again, the lady smiled warmly. She appeared pleased by the holy water, even amused. According to the onlookers, Bernadette entered into a trance-like state when she saw the lady. Some of the crowd described her face as being transfigured and illuminated. This trance-like state was so deep that Bernadette actually had to be carried home by the eyewitnesses that accompanied her. At this point, word was getting around the small French town. Within the day, Lourdes was brimming with theories about the mysterious lady. As the town was mostly Roman Catholic, many people considered the mysterious lady to be the manifestation of an evil spirit. But some began to believe that the lady was a saint or other holy figure. Despite their rumors, Bernadette once again returned to the grotto on Thursday, February 18th. She was resolved to learn why the lady was appearing. So she brought the lady paper and ink to document her presence. But when she arrived, she was told not to use the ink and parchment. According to a letter that Bernadette wrote six years after the event, quote, I asked her if I should write anything down. She said that wasn't necessary. I asked if I should come and visit for the next two weeks. She said yes, end quote. According to this third visitation, Bernadette would be expected to return to the grotto every day for the next 15 days in a row. This was a significant request because it was a two-hour walk from Bernadette's home. It was especially significant for someone as sickly as Bernadette. Regardless, Bernadette agreed. She went to the grotto over the next 15 days. And each day, the lady appeared. Many of these subsequent visits repeated the same pattern. Bernadette would arrive, the lady would appear, they would pray or talk, and then the lady would leave. On one occasion, the lady didn't show at all, but Bernadette kept coming, eager to keep her promise. 
On February 21st, Bernadette visited the grotto for the sixth time. At this point, nearly 100 people joined her. According to Bernadette, the lady looked out across the crowd during this visit and grew sad. She told Bernadette to, quote, pray for sinners, end quote. There was a prominent physician in the crowd during this visit. His name was Dr. Pierre-Romain Dozou. He inspected Bernadette throughout her trance-like state. According to his observations, there was nothing abnormal about her physical condition. He said, quote, her pulse was regular, her respiration easy, and nothing indicated nervous excitement, end quote. Typically, fever dreams or schizophrenic hallucinations are accompanied by an increase in respiratory symptoms and pulse. That said, there is a lot of diversity in these symptoms. It's possible this doctor's diagnosis was not able to detect Bernadette's symptoms or that he perhaps misdiagnosed her. Around this time, Bernadette's family was also becoming more and more accepting of their daughter's daily sojourns to the grotto. People were beginning to give the family gifts and money to support the young, sickly miracle girl. Some historians believe the Subiru family encouraged Bernadette to keep visiting the grotto because of this sudden fame. Either way, the visits continued. On February 24th, 13 days after the first apparition, approximately 400 people joined Bernadette at the grotto. They gathered around the trees outside the cave as Bernadette experienced her longest apparition yet. The crowd watched as the young girl listened to the lady and occasionally bowed before her. At the end of this visit, Bernadette turned to the crowd and told them the lady called for penitence. The crowd gasped and cheered at this news. But the strangest visit was yet to come. On the 25th of February, 14 days after the initial visit, Bernadette was instructed to, quote, drink from the fountain and bathe in it, end quote. This was a strange request, as there was no fountain or spring to bathe in at the grotto. Deep in a trance, Bernadette began to dart back and forth as if she was looking for something. She dug in the dirt and began to eat the leaves off the plants nearby. The crowd watched, confused. Bernadette looked mad, and they began to laugh and make fun of her. But she didn't stop. After several hours, Bernadette suddenly stopped. In the center of the hole she had dug was a small pool of water. Bernadette drank from the water and washed her face. A few hours later, the small pool had become a trickle of water. Soon, the pool was a stream. The crowd was hysterical. This was the first instance where anyone other than Bernadette had witnessed a strange occurrence in the grotto. This also marks the birth of the natural spring that still flows today. Shortly after Bernadette's discovery, the crowds began to drink and wash themselves. This resulted in the first documented healing from the waters of Lourdes. The second happened when a 39-year-old woman named Catherine Latapi dipped her paralyzed hand into the water in the early days of the spring's formation. Within the week, her nerves had been healed and she had regained the use of two of her fingers. As you can imagine, this sudden healing drew even more people to the fountain. Now, people from neighboring towns as far as Tarb were joining Bernadette for her visions. On March 3rd, Bernadette experienced her 14th apparition. During this vision, she was instructed by the lady to build a chapel in the grotto. 
She announced this to the crowd and immediately felt the consequences. Up to this point, the Catholic Church had not commented on the young girl's visions, but this request crossed the line. Only the church was allowed to authorize a chapel. Bernadette had officially become a problem. The parish preset of Lourdes, Father Abbe Peyramal, contacted Bernadette and made the church's position clear. He told her she didn't have the right to make a request for a chapel. If the mysterious lady wanted a chapel in the grotto, she would, at the very least, need to reveal her identity. At this point, Father Peyramal was convinced that Bernadette was making up these visions. But Bernadette did as the father requested. She returned once more to the grotto on March 4th for the 16th apparition. With some 20,000 watching from outside the grotto, Bernadette knelt down in front of the cave and entered her trance. The people watched as she communicated with the mysterious lady. But when Bernadette emerged from her trance, she still did not know the lady's name. The lady did not tell Bernadette her name. Instead, Bernadette told the crowd that she would continue to return to the grotto as the lady didn't say a farewell in this last meeting. The crowd was disappointed by this response. As this was the last day of Bernadette's sojourn, it seemed like a rather unsatisfying ending to the two weeks of visits. And for a reason never fully explained, Bernadette didn't return to the grotto for another 21 days. This may be because she was afraid of her sudden popularity or because she was planning an end to her theatrical performances. Whatever the reason for this was, Bernadette didn't return until March 25th. It was during this visitation that Bernadette once again asked the lady her name. According to Bernadette, she asked the lady three times before the lady responded with, quote, que soy era Immaculado Concepcion, end quote. Or in English, I am the Immaculate Conception. Catholics believe Bernadette was not familiar with the term Immaculate Conception at this time. As an illiterate, uneducated 14-year-old girl, it seemed unlikely she would know the meaning of the phrase. In fact, the phrase Immaculate Conception had only been defined four years earlier on December 8, 1854. This term was only being used among bishops and high-ranking priests at the time. To this day, many people mix up the meaning of Immaculate Conception. Often assumed to be the birth of Jesus, the Immaculate Conception actually refers to the birth of the Virgin Mary. Without getting too theological, Catholics believe Mary was born without original sin through the Immaculate Conception. This is why Catholics refer to Mary as sinless and why she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus Christ. So when the mysterious lady told Bernadette that she was the Immaculate Conception, she was saying that she was the Virgin Mary and the mother of God. To Catholics, this is a really big deal. Holy apparitions are incredibly rare, but a visitation by Mary is a huge honor and responsibility. Wasting no time, Bernadette returned to Father Peyramal and told him the mysterious lady was the Virgin Mary. According to the Catholic Church, Father Peyramal was skeptical of this development and questioned Bernadette for several hours. At the end of the investigation, Father Peyramal concluded that Bernadette had no idea what the Immaculate Conception was. She was too uneducated to know the words she was saying, 
so she must have learned it from the spirit. There's a great amount of debate around this point in the story. Some people believe Bernadette was telling the truth, whereas others believe Bernadette was creating the story to further her fame. Whatever you believe, Father Paramal's decision confirmed the Grotto of Masabiel as a holy site in the Catholic faith. Thousands of pilgrims made their way to the spring, and the number of mystical healings skyrocketed. It was during this mass pilgrimage that the second unexplainable healing happened. In April 1858, Louis Bourriette made his way to the spring to heal his blind eye. According to Louis, quote, I bathed and rebathed my right eye repeatedly in the space of a short time, and after these ablutions, my sight was excellent, end quote. Next, a baby boy near death was brought to the water by his mother. According to his doctor, the boy had 12 hours left to live. In desperation, his mother held her child under the spring at Lourdes for 15 minutes. Historians disagree on exactly how much the boy's body was submerged, but most people believe he was held completely underwater. A few days later, the boy was examined by doctors and found to be in perfect health. With these success stories, hundreds of bottles and various containers arrived to be filled with the spring's water on a daily basis. From across the globe, Christians and skeptics alike sought the spring's miracle. Through the numerous pilgrims, cancer was removed, cleft feet were healed, and tuberculosis was reversed. As the number of cures rose, so did Bernadette's fame. But according to her biography, Bernadette hated the rising attention that the spring brought her. She left Lourdes entirely in 1866 and joined a hospice school run by the Sisters of Charity of Nevers. It was here that she learned to read and write. This education allowed her to document her life's experience, which is why we're lucky to have quotes and accounts from Bernadette herself to this day. Through this schooling, Bernadette continued to grow in her Catholic faith and eventually joined the sisters herself under the guidance of Sister Marie Therese Vauzou. She spent the rest of her life working in the infirmary and embroidering altar cloth. According to her sisters, she was admired for her humility and spirit of sacrifice for the rest of her life. Tragically, the rest of her life wasn't long. Ten years after she joined the sisterhood, Bernadette contracted tuberculosis of the bone in her right knee. And on April 16, 1879, on Easter Wednesday, Bernadette died at the age of 35. Bernadette's final words were, quote, Blessed Mary, Mother of God, pray for me, a poor sinner, a poor sinner, end quote. Critics of her story wonder why she died so young if she was the one that found the spring at Lourdes. The fact that she remained sickly her entire life seems to show a hole in the story of the healing powers of the spring. But Bernadette was not the only one. Although thousands of people were healed by the waters, millions left with no cure. These numbers are difficult to verify because of the amount of time that's passed since the spring's discovery. With this in mind, it's estimated that about 1 in 800,000 people have been cured by the spring since its discovery in 1858. So it's not quite as bad as playing the lottery, but it's close. This inconsistency caught the attention of the press, and criticism fell on the Catholic Church. 
It was here that the Catholic Church formed an institution that broke the boundaries of faith and science for the first time in its history. Up next, we'll examine the Lord's Medical Bureau. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now back to the story. Given how rare it was for the sacred waters at Lourdes to produce an actual cure, the Catholic Church decided to form an institution that still stands today to review the miracles. The result was the Lourdes Medical Bureau. Formed in 1883, four years after Bernadette's death, the Bureau's chief objective was to discover which of the cures were miracles and which were the result of a placebo effect. According to the Bureau, an authentic Catholic miracle had to satisfy three criteria. First, the illness had to be incurable. Next, the waters at Lourdes needed to provide a perfect cure. A partial healing would not be considered a miracle. And finally, there needed to be no scientific explanation for the cure. To this day, evidence from expert doctors is required for this analysis. Official documentation is required from both before and after the patient bathes in the spring. These investigations then take upwards of 15 years for approval. Regarding these healings, the Catholic Church is one of the most skeptical institutions when it comes to the spring. They need to be very careful what they label as a miracle, as it holds a great honor in Catholic teachings. Confirming too many miracles can also devalue the definition of a miracle, so caution is always the first step. So although there have been thousands of documented healings from the sacred waters at Lourdes, the Catholic Church has only approved 70 of these cures as authentic miracles since the spring was found in 1858. This makes the number of healed visitors roughly 1 in 3.7 million. Still in operation today, the Lord's Medical Bureau receives roughly 35 claims a year. Most of these cases are dismissed quickly, with as many as five investigated more thoroughly. If test results from these five or so cases are deemed to be worthy of consideration, it is sent to the International Lord's Medical Committee, or CMIL. This is a collection of 20 experts with various religious beliefs and areas of medical expertise. This group meets annually and investigates each of the cases individually and in detail. Once the scientific evidence for the case is presented, the CMIL then votes on the case. If a two-thirds majority is reached, then the case is considered inexplicable. That said, there is one final requirement for a case to be considered a miracle. In the Catholic faith, 
Only the church can approve a miracle. Once the case is considered inexplicable, the CMIL sends the case information to the bishop of the diocese where the cured subject lives. That bishop then meets with the Vatican to approve the case. At any point along this journey, the case can be rejected, and that is why so few cases reach a miracle status. We obviously don't have time to cover all of these miracles in this podcast, but we did want to mention a couple of them. One of the most famous miracles happened to a farm laborer named Peter de Roudet. He was working for the Vicomte Alberique du Bus de Gésigné on February 16, 1867, when a falling tree broke one of his legs. Both his tibia and fibula were shattered in the accident. His doctors tried to treat him, but they were unsuccessful. One of the doctors advised Roudet to amputate the leg. With no medical way to heal himself, at least not at the time, Roudet decided to make the journey to Lourdes. He arrived at the sacred waters on May 9, 1878, where he bathed and washed his broken leg. Within the next few days, his broken leg was reported to be healed. He was able to walk and lived for another 20 years before his death on March 22, 1898. Because of the sudden and unexplained nature of his cure, a bronze cast was made out of his bones after his death. The cast is actually on display in the Lord's Medical Bureau today. Brother Leo Schwager and Alice Courteau were also extreme cases. Both of them were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis for several years before they bathed in the waters at Lourdes. Multiple sclerosis is a spinal cord disease that attacks nerve cells. There is no permanent cure. We have ways to reduce the symptoms and to reduce the pain this disease brings, but it remains chronic and incurable. Despite this, both brother Leo Schwager and Alice Courteau experienced a full recovery from the waters at Lourdes. The waters have also been known to remove cancer. Vittorio Michelli was suffering from an extreme case of pelvic cancer when he visited Lourdes on June 1, 1963. His tumor was recorded to be so large that it left his left leg paralyzed. Within a few days of bathing, he was freed from pain and could walk again. By 1964, one year later, the tumor was gone and he was able to return to his normal life. Cancer suddenly vanishing is very rare. In fact, there are only about 1,000 recorded cases in human history in which a cancer has simply disappeared. These miracles span to recent years, with the latest cure being certified in 2018. Here, the recipient of the 70th miracle, Charles de Ledesma, talks about her experience with the spring. A French bishop declared on Sunday that Bernadette Moriot's recovery from decades of spinal problems after she visited the Catholic shrine in Lourdes was a miracle and that there was no medical explanation for it. Now Moriot, who's a nun, says she's no one special, just a little sister, glad to be able to walk freely again. She's told reporters how she gave up morphine and her leg brace after visiting the shrine, saying, I am here to bear witness, but I'm not here to make you believe me. Her case is the 70th 
event formally recognised as an act of divine intervention at the pilgrimage site in southern France. I'm Charles de Ledesma. Besides the verification of these miracles, the Lord's Medical Bureau was also the first institution to analyze the chemical components of the spring's water in the early 1860s. According to their official records, the water is potable or safe to drink and cook with. It also contains oxygen, nitrogen, carbonic acid, carbonates of lime and magnesia, a trace of carbonate of iron, an alkaline carbonate or silicate, chlorides of potassium and sodium, traces of sulfates of potassium and soda, traces of ammonia, and traces of iodine. All of these ingredients are common in natural springs, To this day, the water is considered pure and healthy, but also ordinary. The head scientist behind this investigation, Anselm Lecadet, was hoping to find some sort of magic ingredient in the water. But to this day, nothing in this batch of ingredients seems otherworldly. The spring at Lourdes remains a sacred site for the Catholic Church, and it has showed no sign of slowing down. The water flows at 40 liters per minute, According to Oliver Todd, one of the pilgrims to Lourdes, the water is collected in a cistern and then dispensed through a system of taps near the Shire. In 2002, a water walk was constructed near the grotto. This is a series of nine stations that allow pilgrims to wash and drink as they pray or meditate. Today, people can still bathe in the series of pools free of admission as they hope for a miracle. They usually wait for about an hour and a half outside the baths. There are 17 baths for the pilgrims, 11 for women and 6 for men. The water in the baths is not heated and is roughly 12 degrees Celsius. Visiting patrons are submerged for about a minute during which prayers are usually recited. Non-Catholics are allowed to participate in the baths as long as there is a sense of respect throughout the experience. During this wait, it is common to hear a speaker reading scripture from the grotto, although there is often singing. Here is a recording of a choir outside the grotto in the early 2000s. Several popes have also held mass or visited the shrine since its discovery, with the latest being Pope Benedict in 2008. This is an excerpt of a prayer he spoke outside the grotto. With 70 confirmed miracles and thousands of unexplained healings, it's clear that the spring at Lourdes is a special place for many across the globe. For generations, pilgrims have been making the journey to the small French town to experience a closer connection to their faith and their health. But for as many that are healed, still millions leave without a cure. By the numbers, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to be healed by the springs at Lourdes. And it's not as if they aren't sick. Some of the most chronically ill are turned away without a miracle. This is one of the greatest criticisms of the sacred waters at Lourdes. 
It seems that the miracles are highly selective on who is chosen for a cure. But that only adds to the mystery. Why are some people healed inexplicably and others left to suffer? Many Catholics believe that only those that truly need to be healed receive a cure. But this is not a good enough answer for more secular sources. What makes it more complicated is some believers don't want to know how the water works. This would devalue the miracle in their minds, and they want the waters to remain magical. Science and religion have been butting heads for generations, and these waters are no exception. That said, next week, we'll be looking into the theories surrounding some of these more secular sources as we try to comprehend the magic behind the thousands of sudden cures. Are the sacred waters at Lourdes the result of unexplainable divine intervention? Or is there another explanation? The truth will flow out in the details. If you're looking for more Unexplained Mysteries, you can find us, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast, and Twitter at ParCast Network. Many listeners ask how to help the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Michael Herman and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.